0: Good morning. My name is Tina Berry, and this is my mother-in-law, Lois Berry, and my sister-in-law, Tammy Berry. If I was going to uh, introduce my mother-in-law the way that my five-year-old daughter likes to, she would say, this is my grandma, Lois. Her married name is Nana. (laughs) Our scripture reading today is selections from Romans 8, verses 14 through 28. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all, Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, uh, Tammy, Tina, and Nana, we're glad to have you read scripture. Um, Today is the day that we take time to honor those who have had one of the highest callings in all that God has made, and that is being mothers. Um, Not to honor you would be absolutely the wrong thing to do because there are no calling that has greater opportunity to actually shape individual lives, change and shape the values and lives of an entire church, of a society, of the whole world. I'll tell you, it's a high calling, and we we honor you today. But at, but as you know, right, a, a happy Mother's Day. So it's <laughs> it's sad I was throwing that word but there, but I have to throw it in because we all know that even though God intended for this to be a day that was all joy, the fact is that for so many this is a a very hard day because there are some who have lost your moms in recent days and so it's really hard today. There are some who have just those hard broken relationships with your mother and that makes it a hard day. There are some who long to be mothers and cannot and that makes it a hard day and there are some who have all those things going on. And uh, we, to, to fail to acknowledge that would be to fail to realize, to acknowledge the kind of world that God has put us in and actually that our text forces us to see today. One that is imperfect, When we're even, even the greatest joys intended by God also have to have that word but that, that, that follows them. I mean, my own life has this mixture of of good and bad on Mother's Day. I had a great mom. I've often told you I wish all of you could have met her. She was an unforgettable personality and you would have not forgotten her. And yet most of you, many of you walked through those years where she developed Alzheimer's disease, walked with me through those four or five years, and then about five years ago, uh, the Lord took her home. There's just pain, joy in the memory, pain in the loss. Uh, for Chris and me, we remember with great joy the time she gave birth to our children, and we rejoice in, in Heather and Brandon, who've been so much a part of this church. But I think you know, because I speak about it quite often, that we had a child in between those two, and we lost her. And on Mother's Day, I, I, I remember her. It's the way this world is, isn't it? The greatest joy is also sometimes because of the sin and, and Things that are not yet complete in this world bring also pain. And and it's actually that time in the birth of our middle child, Brittany Ann, that led me to the message that I'm going to bring to you today, Romans 8, 14 to 28. I was a pastor at the time that she died. I was getting ready for a series of messages in the book of Romans. I was reading one morning uh, in this very text that we heard earlier today. And I'll tell you, the Lord just gripped my heart. In the midst of that, it was a dark hour for me, a hard time, Um, and I I pulled out a sheet of paper because I didn't have a computer back then, 1984, and I just started reading as I read through it, one thing after another that I felt like the Spirit of God was saying to me, and that's what I'm going to try to pass on to you today. It really is a a message born out of trials, and I, I, I thought maybe I should skip this text, because I thought sometimes you expect a Mother's Day sermon to be kind of like a Hallmark movie, you know, with none of those the things of trials and, and pain. And yet I cu- couldn't get it off my mind that this is the message that God would have us to hear. And then when I came to verse 22, if you have a Bible, you can see that the Apostle Paul says that mothers have an, an ability to experientially understand the truth of this message better than anybody else. And that sort of sealed it for me. And if it's a bad idea that I preach this, please tell me afterwards, but uh, I'm going to bring it because I think this is what God would have us to hear. Uh, So I'm going to remind you, uh, we are nearing the end of this series of messages that we've been looking at for a long time here at Lake Avenue, and that is Romans 5 through 8 that I'm calling Made New. And the whole point of this message is God is at work in this world. He knows the world that he made is filled with sin and evil and imperfection. But God is at work in this world. And he promises he's not going to finish that work until everything is made right. But there are all sorts of things we have to come to grips with that are not right. Last week, I took the whole message to talk about the reality of temptation. Do you remember? But that in that, God says, I found a way to forgive you. When you have failed and given in to temptation and I've given my spirit to you to begin remaking you so that the future can be different, there will be a world without that making you fail, right? So this week, we come to that second big T about the things that aren't the way they're supposed to be in this world and that is the word trials. Now, I think the thing you're going to see today is what the perspective that the Bible gives you and all the pain and trials in this world is so different from anything else that you're going to hear in our society. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those thoughts that the Lord put in my heart 33 years ago, it's just hard to believe, 33 years ago that have made a difference in, at that time and in my life ever since, and I'm going to pass it on to you and pray God uses it in your life as well. So I'm just going to walk through the text. Verses 14 to 16. The first thing I wrote down is this. In the midst of these trials, in the midst of this darkness, we walk through suffering with our Abba. With our Abba. And notice how Paul puts it. The spirit you received... Talked about this last week when we received Jesus, God's Spirit comes into you and dwells within you. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Uh, Women who are here, he's talking about you there as well. He uses that word sonship for a very particular reason that I've got to you'll appreciate it, I think. Our adoption to sonship, and by this spirit we cry, Abba Father. Now, God has eternally been a father. One of the most amazing things that Jesus made known to us when he opened up our eyes to is this that it wasn't just when Jesus was born that God sort of became a loving father type then. No, Jesus let us know that eternally he had been the son of God. In other words, eternally, God had lived this this impossible thing to understand, one God living as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there had always been a relationship of God to the Son. Jesus let us know that he was the eternal Son of the eternal God. Now, what happens here in in chapter uh, 8, verses 4 to 16, is the Apostle Paul takes Jesus' own words for his relationship to his Father, Abba, And he says that God's eternal plan has been to find a way to take you and me and take us from that place where we're on our own and broken from God, we can now enter into a relationship of privilege and intimacy, knowing God personally as Abba, just as Jesus had always known him that way. That when you place your faith in Jesus, this begins to grow in you. You begin to know God in that warm and intimate way that you know he deals with you and treats you as as a dad does. And I've got to say this, and this is where that word sonship comes in. Our being God's children is, of course, in many ways different from the way that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, Jesus was the eternal Son of God, and we're not that for sure. And Jesus, by nature was the son of God. He was, as as John would try to put it, the one and only son, the only begotten son. Uh, But now Paul is telling us, but God is ready and out of his love to adopt each one of us into the family of God. But when he adopts you and me into his family, he puts us into the very same kind of relationship to himself that Jesus had as his son. We become heirs of God. He uses that phrase. And then he adds joint heirs, joint heirs with Jesus. And so this this idea of sonship that Jesus alone shared, he applies it to us. He gives us the ability to be adopted into the same kind of relationship to God the Father that Jesus had. That's what he's saying. Abba, when the Spirit comes. The more you come to know God, the more the Spirit is going to work into you. And when you pray, Abba, it's not, there. was a word close to it that many of the Jewish people would use. They spoke mostly Aramaic. And the word is "abi," my father. But this is that very personal, personal terms. Abba. Uh, in our language, what would that be? Wouldn't that be like, like dad? Maybe even daddy. Do you see what I'm getting at? And this is what really hit me in that very, very dark time. I don't have to come to prayer and beg God to love me. I don't have to beg God to do what is good. He loves me with an everlasting love. When I enter into his relationship, I know he cares. I can call him Abba. Have you ever experienced that? I gotta stop here. I don't think, we have people at, at Lake who come from all over the world, but I'm preaching to us here in Southern California. And I I don't think most of us here as American-born Christians, those of us who are, have very much of a good notion about God being Abba. I still find when we talk about things, we sort of think of God sometimes almost as a force. How can I get him to do what I want him to do that he doesn't want to do? (laughs) I think sometimes we think about God as a boss. And sometimes you might have a good relationship to your boss, but but it's not this kind of relationship. You know, the boss that, you know, you do what you're supposed to do and you're supposed to be paid your wages and benefits. So if I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to do, I listen to that whole sermon, why aren't things going well for me? You get upset by it. On the other side, if you aren't doing what you're supposed to do, you think God might fire you (laughs) and get rid of that relationship. That is not the kind of relationship that Jesus gave his life to bring you and me into relationship with the Father. And if we think about God in those ways, it's just going to be stifling for your walk with God, especially in hard times. You'll make demands. When you feel like you're doing something right, you'll live in fear if you don't. But I'll tell you, when you begin to actually share life with God as your Abba, everything, everything is different. Uh, just like sometimes mothers haven't been great mothers, same, you know that's true of us as fathers too, but the good father always allows his children to go through some of those more difficult times and doesn't pull you away from those immediately because we know that people mature and grow stronger through going through those times. And yet at the same time, the good father doesn't abandon his child even if the child might feel like it as Jesus felt like it when he went to the cross. Uh, the, the, the good father really hurts when his children hurt. And that's what God does. I thought about that that day. I thought about that that day. God, if you're my Abba, it's going to change this thing. In times of pain and loss, I think I began then. I think I'm still growing in it. I learned to pray, Lord, sometimes I don't know where you are or what's happening here. But I know you. Abba, my trust is in you. That's the first thing I wrote down. Then I moved on to to verse 17. And this is what I wrote. In times of darkness and pain, we who follow Jesus consider suffering as a way to share life with Jesus. To share life, a oneness with Jesus gets established. So the way he puts it, we're co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering. Now... Again here, I've got to preach to us as, if you're like me, sort of a American-born Christian growing up in this consumerist society, Uh, we don't think much about a relationship with God as something that we want long to share sufferings. How many times do you pray that? And so it sort of shocks us, doesn't it, when we read Paul, like in Philippians, and actually early Christians in the first three centuries going through horrendous persecutions, longing to share the sufferings of Jesus. I thought, how on earth do I talk to a Southern California crowd about this? How do I understand it myself? So I've gone back to read so many of the places where Christians prayed just this way, we long to share your sufferings. And what I found is this, that the early Christians almost always would refer to this. They had come to understand something of the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, out of love for us, came and suffered because of us, for us, and now with us. And in, in doing that, the first thing you learn there is that there's no humiliation when you go through hard times and suffering, right? I mean, if Jesus did that, that's the first thing you learn. But it seems like there's more than that, doesn't it? It seems like he's saying that when you and I go through tough times and learn to trust God in the midst of it, it binds us closer to Jesus. There is a oneness. I've tried to, how do I understand that? On one side, it is that Jesus comes closer to us and shares our suffering with us, empathizes with us. On the other side, we run to him and find ourselves at the end closer to him. Does this make any sense to you at all? Um, So Paul, who wrote this, he had learned this fact about Jesus coming to us and suffering with us when he first became a Christian. Do you know the story? It's in Acts 9. If you don't know it, Paul was, a, he was an angry anti-Christian out persecuting people like us. <laughs> when on the road to Damascus, he was blinded by the light. Jesus appeared and, and blinded him. And that, Do you know the first words Jesus said? He said, Saul, another word for Paul, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, Paul could have said, I'm not persecuting you. Just look at these people around here. They get on my nerves. They're causing more damage than good. They're the ones. And Jesus said the same thing. If you persecute them, you persecute me as well. When they hurt, I hurt as well. Uh, And so one of the things that happens is that whenever you and I go through hard times, we've got to remember that. The Lord of our lives is one who is willing to be crucified and bear our sins. We are sharing a part of the life. There is a oneness in him that, that just good times alone will never produce in us. This other side is also true. That it's not just Jesus coming to us, but whenever the tough times come, don't we have a choice to make? We can either run toward God and trust him, or we can get embittered and run away from him. For those who run toward God, they find he is there. Every strong believer I've ever met has told me that it's through those toughest times where they, the only thing they had to lean on was to find out whether God was there or not and find out he was there and was sufficient. And I think that's why these, the most passionate, fervent, faithful believers I've ever met are those who have gone through the darkest times. I saw this again this past week. I see, Dwayne, we looked down here. We had two memorial services the last two days. Of two beautiful followers of Jesus. They were both in the choir, both named Daryl. <laughs> both named Daryl. Daryl Fulbright yesterday, the day before, it was Daryl Gustafson. And at Daryl Gustafson's uh, memorial service, so his children, his extended family, his friends, all gave testimony to the same thing, that when Daryl and Clarita walked through the worst times in their lives, like the loss of his sons, they saw him Trusting God. And they, they said, how did they put it? A whole new level of walk with God developed, deepened in his life. That's what he's saying. And I'll tell you, when I began reading this, and the more I grasp it, the more I think, Lord, I don't want to run away from these hard times. I want to run toward you and have you develop that kind of faith in me. It's always been that way for believers. So I thought, I want to at least give you one, not just contemporary, but an old one. I went as far back as I could go. I went all the way back into the second century. There was a bishop there in Antioch. His name was Ignatius. His people loved him. Yet because of his faith, the government took him captive. They slapped him into prison and they were going to kill him. But his people loved him so much, they began to have a scheme to go and to get him out of prison. Would you do that for me? I... I, I you don't, have to, you don't have to vote on that, that one right now, but they did this for him, and he found out about it, and this is what he wrote back to them. No, he said to them, and here are his words. Let fire or a cross, let companies of wild beasts, let my bones be broken, let my limbs be torn, let my whole body be ground, let all the malice of the devil come upon me If they produce this in me, I want to know Christ. I want to be like Christ. And the Apostle Paul said that we share sufferings, and I began thinking about that and began learning to make that my prayer, which brought me down to the next section. Uh, Verses 17 to 25, the longest section of this. And that is in the midst of trials, we are never without hope. We are never without hope. I've got to remind you, these verses come at the very end of these four chapters, all of which tell us that when God is finished with his work, we're not going to have these trials anymore. They're all going to be gone, but we're not there yet. And that's really what he gets at with this verse. So I consider these present sufferings, they're not worth comparing with what's going to happen with the glory that will be revealed in us. The whole point that he's making here, not only that trials will further things in us, but also this point that these trials aren't going to last forever. Temptation won't last forever. Last week, trials won't last forever. So God is telling you, That whatever trial you're going through today is temporary. Uh, Nothing is the way it should be in this world yet, but someday it's going to be that way. And if we trust that God is going to fulfill His word, then we're able, as He says in verses 24 and 25, to trust in Him because we always have hope. Uh, Even death doesn't ruin our hope. And it isn't like our world. I hope so, it might not be. It's certain hope. because it's in the promises of God. I'll I'll just develop with you starting with verse 19. This is the way he talks about it. I've learned from him. He started by going all the way back to the beginning, Genesis 1 through 3. Have you noticed how many times I do that in sermons? All right, he takes us all the way back. He said, one day, Genesis 2, everything was perfect. Everything was the way it should be. People were caring for creation, made in the image of God. We have the ability to care for the rest of the world the way that God cares for us. It's a, a part of the beauty of being human. But we haven't done that well. Then human beings walked away from God and it ruined everything, including the rest of creation. So just as sin of human beings made in God's image just wrecked uh, what happens to animal life, what, what happens to our air and to our water and all the things that are there, he also says someday when God finishes his work in us as human beings, it's also going to affect the rest of creation. We're going to take up our our God call and responsibilities to care for the world as God made us to do it. And so he says in this section, the rest of creation, they didn't even do this. They were subjected to it by the things that we have done. Did you notice that? But now they also know that when God finishes his work in us, he finishes his work in them as well. He personifies the rest of creation. So here's what he says. So all of creation is eagerly anticipating God finishing his work in us. They groan, it says it groans because it's not there yet. But it's, and the word for eagerly anticipate is, it, it's like the craning of the neck to try to see something you really want to see happen. It's like going to your favorite artist in a concert and a real tall guy is sitting there in front of you and you can't see anything. And you look around, and you say, I wanna see it, I wanna see it. And that's the way it says here. It's longing for God to finish his work. And the same thing he said happens to us. We groan too. He said that. We groan too. The older I get, the more I groan. I, I say that, but the fact is that the word he uses for groan is much stronger than just my old bones growing, groaning. It's, it's intense pain. Pain that makes you feel like you have to die. That's the word that he uses. We groan wanting things to be different, but because we know that the God who's our Abba is the one who has power over death itself. We look forward to the fact of what he's going to do because he says the present sufferings are nothing compared to what he's going to do in us and for us. That, that's what he says, and I almost feel him saying, "What is this like? What is this like? Can anybody really understand this?" And in what he said, you know. Moms can understand this. Finally, the Mother's Day message, right? Moms can understand this. He said, it's like in times of of, of the pains of childbirth, in the midst of that thing, it's excruciating, but at the same time, you know, there's something beautiful on the other side. So I thought about that with our own situation. And uh, I didn't get Chris's permission to to say this, but she heard me say it the last time and didn't beat me up, so that's good. Um, So we had three children. We had three children, and each time uh, I didn't experience it, but then Paul didn't either. But I was there when those pains of childbirth happened, and and in one of them I was up there really close to Chris. She had her arm around me. It was a tender time when that. In- Hence, labor pain came. And I'll tell you, she tightened up and she got her, her arm and her elbow coming around my neck. I was choking. I thought I was going to die. And the doctors and the nurse had to come and pry it off. And, 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 and Chris said, this is our last one. This, this is our last one. If we have any more children, you're going to have the next one. So which men, you know as well as I do, that if we men had the babies, No family would have more than one child. We we all know this. And yet as intense as that pain was, here we are all these years later, and unless I use it in a sermon, we never talk about that pain anymore. And you know why. I'll, I'll just show you a picture of the why. We have a picture up there. That's Heather and Brandon. And Brandon wasn't 6'3 with a beard when he was born. Just just to let, (laughs) let you know. We love our children. We feel their love coming back to us. We have this ongoing love relationship that is so, so beautiful. It would not have been possible without the pain. Just being with them makes us not remember that. Paul says that's what it's like. See, that's what it's like. When we have that kind of certain hope ahead, we can wait I pray you'll be able to wait if you're going through tough times because our Abba knows where it's headed and what's on the other side. Amen. Which brings me, and I better go quickly here, brings me to uh, this other thing when we get to verses 26 and 27. I almost feel like the Apostle Paul anticipates a question that I have often been asked when I've talked about the fact uh, when we go through excruciating pain, we, uh, uh, we hope and wait because there's something good on the other side. And you know, many people scoff at that idea. Oh, this Christianity, it's always that thing in the future. It's not about now. The Apostle Paul expects that and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not just a future hope. There's something God gives you right now in the midst of difficulty. And this, So I wrote it this way. So in the midst of trial, we have a helper I wrote when we're exhausted, but that's mostly when you just feel like giving up and you just don't know what to do. And this is what he writes, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. See, it seems to me Paul knew that there are times in our lives when we just don't even know what to say or do. So he just steps in really quickly and says, wait a minute, but God gives you something for those times too. He gives you the Spirit who is there To help, and the word that he uses for um, help—it's a long. You know, Paul was writing in Greek. It's a long word, three words jammed into one. Soon, anti lambanamai. How would you like to try to say that ten times? But but it means soon with anti for lambanamai carry. Think of that. When the trial comes, God gives us His Spirit, who is there with us, who's there for us and that we will find, as I've so often found, even carries us, carries us. Have you, have you, I long, it's hard to talk about how this happens, but I long for you to experience that. The, the specific example Paul gives is of our prayer lives. He says sometimes you're gonna find the difficulties are so great you don't really know how to pray, but the Spirit is there to help us in that kind and any kind of weakness. Read through the Psalms and you'll see the kinds of things that God's people didn't know how to pray and they just came to God. Uh, sometimes um, they were hurting and they were sick and they just didn't know what to say sometimes they were confused and they said dumb things in their prayers Lord kill all these people Uh, sometimes they were self-centered and prayed out of wrong motives but here the spirit is there with us and he just says enter into the presence of your Abba because he loves you And the Spirit is there. And even if your prayers are misguided or wrong, the Spirit is there to help you so that your prayers will actually be conformed to God's will. And I want you to see that if if you're going through a hard time like this, it's not just weaker Christians that feel weak. The Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the way he puts it is the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Paul, Paul knew this because he'd lived there. And not, not one of us who's come to church today is free from every kind of weakness, right? Maybe it's psychological. Maybe you're going through a time of emotional struggle, physical, sickness and pain. Maybe you've been diagnosed as Melinda's mother and father-in-law. Father-in-law has with, with cancer. Maybe, um, maybe it's relational weakness. I can imagine some of you say, Pastor Greg, I have every one of those weaknesses today as I come to church. Aren't those times hard to navigate? Christians and non-Christian alike have them, right? We share that. And yet the difference, here's what he says, the difference is God is within us. The Spirit of God is within us. The Spirit of God is among us. And we will find that he will carry us through those if we run to him and not away from him. I'd, I have to tell you, brothers and sisters, I've experienced this again and again and again in my life. Sometimes in small things. I, I show up at church and it's like a song has spoken to me or a message. Is a, it's just immediately been, or directly been written for me. Uh, sometimes it's in when I'm with a Christian friend who speaks a word of counsel or direction into my life. I pray you've experienced that. Sometimes it's, it's all sorts of times and ways that this can happen. Sometimes it's been in financial stress when someone has come along and provided help from God that I could never have anticipated. I I pray that you'd find our church to be a place where the Spirit of God does that. When we have our prayer counselors and pastors meet here after the service, if you're going through a time of trouble, it may be that one way the Spirit of God will help carry you is through his people. And I hope you'll come and let us know about that. Uh, Much more could be said about that, but I just gotta leave you with this thought about this point. It's not bad when you're feeling weak. But when you're feeling weak, you've got to run into the arms of God. And when you do, you find that he is there upholding you, carrying you. When I felt the weakest in my life are those times that I just have to say, Lord, if you don't show up, there's no hope for me. And he's been, here I am, here I am with you today. On the other side, I have found when everything is going well, when every one of you walks through the back there and says, great sermon, pastor, when I become complacent and self-satisfied, I have found that there is little hope of me experiencing the sustaining presence and strength of the Spirit of God. We have a helper when we're exhausted. Okay, one more thing, and then I'm done. Verse 28. Okay, in trials. We are confident. We're confident because we believe that God has a purpose for all things in this world. So here's the verse, chapter 8, verse 28. For we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. Do you know this verse? (laughs) Isn't this one of the most loved verses of the entire Bible? Today we actually get to see it in its context, don't we? (laughs) It's the context, for it's the context of suffering and trials. We can trust. We can keep going. We don't have to give up. For we know. So what do we know? Well, I'm going to come back to this verse because I can't say it all in the time you're going to give me today. But I'll come back. But I'll, I'll, let's keep the verse up there for a moment. A few phrases I want you to see. First one, all things. Can I ask you, what's in the all things? What's, what's in those all, all things? Yeah, all things. This, I ask this easiest questions from from the pulpit (laughs) but it's not that easy a question because there are a lot of things that come to our lives that we just can't believe are in the all things that God is going to use there are such strong movements that say that if your faith is strong enough and you do everything that's right that well never will bad things come to good people that just isn't that just isn't true What's in those all things? Well, if if you wonder about whether sometimes the difficulties you might be going through in those all things, look down in verse 35. The Apostle Paul actually lists some of the all things that God works in. Uh, Trouble, do you see it? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, He works all things. He works all things. Now, I I have to tell you, all the things aren't all those bad things. Sometimes he brings some of the greatest days of your life. I pray today will be one of those. But whatever he brings into your life, God is there. He works all things. What is he working for? Notice this phrase, second phrase, for the good. Now, the Apostle Paul speaking in his language or writing in his language actually didn't use the preposition for the good, but into the good. That's why I called the sermon what I did, all things into the good, uh, toward the good. Uh, I hope you see in the series that we've had what he's talking about. All the things that happen in this life and all the things that you happen in this world, God is there. He's not abandoned you. There's no God-forsaken time in your life or God-forsaken place in this world. And he is able to use all those things to push us toward that place. And that good is for our world. It's all going to be made new. And for your life... You'll no longer have to be a slave to sin, no longer a slave to fear. It will be revealed that you are a child of God. So he's working all things to bring that about in your life and in this world. The other thing I want you to see, he's not saying saying that he's going to make the circumstance good. He'll even use the bad circumstance to bring about his good. He's not saying that he'll make evil things that happen and unjust things in your life that happen. Make them good. They're not. They're evil and unjust. But he is saying that he will use evil and unjust things to further his work like he did with the cross. Evil, unjust cross worked for our salvation. That's what he does. Notice also this, this other phrase. For whom it is. It's for all who are in Christ. That, that's what, who's this for? That we can have this promise to hold on to. It's for those who love God. Anybody here love God? (laughs) I pray. Not as many as I thought. (laughs) They must have all stayed home uh, today. The other part is this thing that God loved us before we loved him, so it's for those who are called according to his will. He wanted you in his family. For all who are in Christ, we have this promise. And when you hold on to it, know that your Abba, who is all-powerful, who made the universe, is saying this. Then it changes your perspective on everything. Any pain or difficulty that you experience is not random or hopeless. But we know that our Abba is at work in the midst of it again I'll come back to that verse next week but I'm just going to point out that this may be one of the most distinctive parts of how a Christian views tragedy and trials in our world sometimes it's really hard to believe it I'll tell you I found it hard to believe when I was in Phnom Penh and went to the persecution museum saw the names of those who were slaughtered in the midst of that, I thought, Lord, all things. And I just simply had to come back and say, I know who you are, I will trust you in the midst of this. It's what I had to come to that day when I had to uh, ask myself whether this is something when my daughter died in infancy that he could use to work his good. Uh, I thought about this passage when my daughter died. I've been thinking about it ever since. And it it changes the way that I speak to you and preach to you today. Think about it. Uh, It's not just Christians who lose our children. Christian, non-Christian alike, that happens, doesn't it? But just think, for the one who doesn't know Jesus... Uh, Not knowing whether there is a God, and if there is a God, whether that God is good and and that he cares about you. What are you left with? At best, you're left with confusion and uncertainty, and probably you're pushed toward bitterness and futility and hopelessness. I've learned to trust him many other times in my life. So many of us, we find our sense of worth and success and, 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 and gaining wealth. What, what happens when we lose our jobs? What happens when everything is taken away? Do we feel worthless? Or do we rest in the fact that, no, I have a whole new identity now. I am a child of God, knowing the creator of the world is my Abba. I've, it just changes everything. I, I came back to these five points that I wrote down 33 years ago. As I got ready for this message for you, I, I pray, I've been praying that you would find them, something about them, helpful to you. So this morning I leave you with Romans eight eighteen, With the Apostle Paul, who had gone through incredible suffering, read 2 Corinthians and you'll see it, would say, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not, that's churchy type of language, I know, but it's, it's, it's great stuff. <laughs> uh, Romans 3.23, all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, made in the image of God. We don't reflect as much of that glory as we should, but someday in Christ we will. That's what he's saying. So these present sufferings, they, they will further that. I don't consider the sufferings I go through as anything compared with the glory that will be revealed in me. Someday, if you're in Christ, you will be everything that your Abba made you to be. Someday, if you're in Christ, you will be everything that he longs for you to be. Short of his glory now, you and I someday, when he is done, will use all things, all things. Uh, Even this sermon, is it possible that he might use this sermon to send you from this church, being more of what he wants you to be than when you came in? I pray that he uses this thing and all things to make his glory known to you, in you, and through you. Amen.